1: Welcome
2: to episode 89 of McChesney Unchained, coming to you from the bar and studio down here at DNVR off of Colfax. I am your host, Matt McChesney, as always, 89 shows down and on Veterans Day, no less. So make sure if you know a vet out there, you got vets in your family, you give them a big hug and say thank you. Uh, Without them bending over backwards to provide that freedom, you sure as hell wouldn't have it. So... Thank a veteran. Uh, Thank you to Ben Garland, obviously the most notable veteran we got with the Dungeon family, uh, an Air Force grad, and all the the boys down at the Air Force Academy that uh, we've placed down there. Thank you so much for your service and everything you do. Uh, So on Veterans Day, we roll on episode 89 of McChesney Unchained. And boy, do we have a hell of a show for you. Uh, After we get done talking bus here to open up the show, uh, number 38 and one of the captains for your Colorado Buffaloes, Mr. Brady Russell, joins us. Uh, to talk about a huge win against UCLA to open the season, and then going to the farm this weekend to take on Stanford as seven-point dogs, which I think is crazy. Get on that one on DraftKings, and then obviously uh, we'll we'll talk about your Denver Broncos. Uh, but I wanted to bring on Joel Dreesen here today, also, as you know, it's episode eighty-nine. And that's a tight end number, and damn it, we got two tight ends on the show. So Dreesen will come on, and and we'll talk about CSU's huge win over Wyoming to bring the boot back to Fort Collins for the first time in four years and then get his thoughts on, on the Broncos and some of their struggles down in Atlanta and where they go on offense from here. So let's get this rolling. Uh, episode 89, McChesney Unchained. Remember, you can follow everything uh, on the show at DNVR Unchained uh, for the, the show's uh, Twitter feed and then at Sixer Academy for... Myself on Twitter and Instagram, give both a follow, and then DNVR underscore sports for everything DNVR. Uh, the turning point is done. Uh, Ali and I uh, busted that out this morning, so uh, look for that as the week goes on, and we'll present some of the struggles the Broncos dealt with this weekend in Atlanta. But first and foremost, uh, the Colorado Buffaloes came out, and at one point we're up thirty-five to seven, thirty-five fourteen on the hated UCLA Bruins. Um, I couldn't ask for a better opener. I mean, it has everything. It has dominant offensive performance, which is what you need in college football to win. Very rarely are you going to be able to really hold people down, especially if you don't get the pick of the litter defensively like Alabama does, You know, eight, nine, five-star players a year. Uh, from a recruiting standpoint, you should be able to play defense in college. It's all about speed. It's all about technique and scheme at the NFL level. It's all about speed at college football. And CU looked fast for the first half the other day, and then they hit the wall in the third and fourth quarter and, and hung on to win 48-42 over a very skilled offensive team for UCLA. They are bad on defense. And I know a lot of Buff fans think CU's defense was going to be their their high point this year, and I'm one of them. Uh, when you have Mustafa and Lang and Jalen Samai and you have – Nate Lamb and rum in the middle and Carson Wells out there balling, you'd figure they'd be better than 42 points. But UCLA went straight hurry up and, and panic mode in the second half. And and CSU was chasing or CU, God, I can't believe I just said that. CU was chasing their ass uh the the third quarter trying to make sure they didn't end up giving up the the huge lead. So Look, a win is a win, and I'll take it, especially an opener against a Pac-12 team after not playing for a year and a brand-new starting quarterback that played safety last year. I think that that helped him a ton. Uh, as a guy who played both ways in the NFL for six years and went to to every offensive meeting and defensive meeting I could get myself into every day, uh, playing defense my whole life, my first two years in the league and then my, my my five years at CU, it gave me a very unique perspective when they moved me to Garden Center. So. Uh, it really helps me not only break down film, but know what I'm talking about. And I always say I've got my master's degree in football, and I'll take the Pepsi challenge against anybody's ass. He you want to put me on the board, I know what I'm talking about. And I think that that really helps Sam Neuer being on the defensive side of the ball last year sitting in those defensive meetings and being harped cover one, cover two, cover three, robber, blah, 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 blah. I mean, you could tell that he was making decisions quickly last night. And he, you, every time they rolled a safety into the box, he took what they were giving him. When they went too high, he threw it underneath. Brady Russell had 77 receiving yards and a touchdown and leading the the team in receiving for a tight end the first time since 2012. So the Buffs came out and did what they needed to do offensively. I think that they will get better defensively. And honestly, I'm kind of glad it happened because it gives Coach Wilson and Tyson Summers and, you know, Coach meet the DB coach and you – know, Everybody, Coach Brian, the the linebacker coach, and Cabral, and everybody else, it gives them the opportunity to say, hey, good job, you won, congratulations, but we didn't play to our standard on defense, and we've got to be better than that this weekend going into Stanford or we're going to get our asses kicked. Stanford's coming off of a very physical, hard-nosed game against Oregon where they controlled in between the tackles, but they couldn't move the sticks on third down, uh, and they got out-hit eventually throughout the game and they didn't have their starting quarterback who who knows if he'll be back this week and even if he does come back he hasn't been practicing at all and i don't think that that's going to be very conducive towards you know offensive fluidity which is a problem they have in stanford anyway last year i went to the stanford arizona game because i've got drake nugent and barrett miller are two kids from uh from 6-0 dungeon family guys that are on full ride for stanford and drake's out this weekend with a knee but Bear at 63 is their starting left guard, the Gold Helmet Award winner from the state of Colorado. And I know that CU didn't want to lose that kid to Stanford, but hopefully they can recruit his little brother, Brayden, who's got 14 scholarship offers out of the gym right now. Uh, and to CU's one of them, and so is Stanford. So this might be the play game for Brayden Miller. But Bear's are starting left guard, and I know he's jacked up to get them in the confines of the farm, especially after last year's 16-13 to 13, nail-biter that the bus ended up winning at the end of the game. Uh, Over Stanford. So, this is a huge game going to the farm this weekend. They are not going to roll over. They've got way too much pride. David Shaw, uh, last year was his first losing season ever, and I doubt that he wants to start 0 2. This is a make or break game for the Stanford Cardinals. So, I'm pumped about the direction of the Colorado Buffaloes. We need to play better defensively. Uh, Hats off to Coach Rod and the offensive line. Uh, All of them, from Sherman to Frank Philippe to Big Chase at right guard, number 70, is a monster. That kid is a damn pro. Sherman is a pro. 58, Crutch is a pro. I love the way Kobe played, he's probably not going to play this weekend due to injury, Uh, but whoever steps in at center, you're surrounded by really good players, and I love the scheme. Russell and Lynch at the tight ends were manhandling people at the point of attack, especially towards the goal line. Do not be surprised if they maximize that with a lot of play action with the tight ends playing real hard at the point of attack and then just you know a lot of either throwback to the tight end or heavy play action across the middle of the field, especially in the red zone, to Matt Lynch and Brady Russell as they continue to go because if you can line in and tight up heavy and tight end scissor formations like they did – and just annihilate people at the point of attack consistently, they have to honor that with cover one and putting the strong safety in the box, and that allows the tight end to block him at the point of attack and run by him in play action, which is going to be huge. And every time they went under center the other night, you know they they did a really good job of playing both in the shotgun, but then I love when they went under center, and they went under center probably five or six times, and three of them were hardcore extended play action, max protection shots down the field to the tight end, one of which was a touchdown to Brady Russell. So I think that the Colorado Buffaloes have everything you're looking for for a productive bowl team this year. Um, They need to go get this win and start 2-0. And and then all the pundits that said they're one and a half wins on the year can stick it in their ass. Um, So I think the the bus will win this weekend um, on Saturday. They're seven-point dogs to Stanford. And uh, I'm taking that all day on DraftKings. I mean, I I might put 1000 bucks on that game because there's absolutely no way they're going to walk in there and shit on themselves. I just don't see it happening from a Carl Durrell-led football team. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I, I think that they're going to show up this weekend at the farm and play very well. So let's get into this. Brady Russell joins us here in Episode 89 of McChesney Unchained. We'll get into the interview right now from uh, the starting tight end for your, Dem- for your Colorado Buffaloes, Brady Russell. And it is my honor and pleasure on McChesney Unchained episode 89 coming to you from the DNVR Barn studio down here off of Colfax to bring on uh, the heart and soul of your Colorado Buffaloes. In my personal opinion, I uh, played his ass off the other night in a huge win for CU to open up uh, the 2020 season with a 48-42 win. Uh, number 38 on the field, number one in your hearts. Mr. Brady Russell joins us here on the show uh, via Zoom. Brady, what's up, brother? And thanks for uh, joining the show and talking to Unchained Nation. Oh, I'm happy to be here. How are you doing today? I couldn't be any better, bro. And after Saturday night, I was happier than a pig and shit. I'm not going to lie. Uh, so let, let's uh, let's get into this, man. It's been a crazy ass off season. Obviously, 2020 has been throwing curveballs since uh, since about March. Um, just talk about the roller coaster and you know the you're going to play. You're not going to play. Hey, we're going to play, and just. How you, as a leader, kept yourself ready and got this team ready to play on Saturday?
1: Uh, it was absolutely a wild ride. We, um, it was interesting. I mean, it all started back when uh, Coach Tucker left. And that was kind of tough because you had guys on the team that were invested in him. Um, so there, a lot of that was trying to keep uh, guys focused on the main goal. Because, I mean, there's freshmen that had literally got here a month and a half before and all of a sudden their their coach they committed to is gone. So you just had to keep people bought into the program. And, I mean, one thing I've learned being here, especially now being on my third coach, is, yeah, coaches are important, but at the end of the day, the players are the ones that are going to play the games and the ones that are going to Amen to that. So uh, that was probably the biggest aspect this offseason was keeping guys focused there. And then also, I think this offseason we grew a lot. Um, Since I've been here, it's been kind of, clicky and whatnot I guess you could say but we grew a lot in our relationships off the field with like each other as teammates hanging out doing things and I mean until COVID started so then that setback happened also (laughs) and it was kind of like we were just hitting stump stumble after stumble so we just uh let's see when did that happen? That was that March, right? I say March is when everything got shut down. Okay. Yeah. That was, it was the week before spring ball. I remember that. Cause we, had, yep. we were going into spring break and we we're going to come back and get after it. Um, so, I mean, it was pretty weird. That was this last, um, November, or October. That was the first time we I'd had, had pads on in over a year, which I haven't done that long since fourth grade, probably. So, uh, just keeping everybody focused was really the the biggest challenge, I guess. But um, with the guys we have on the team and the leadership we have, I think with Nate and Katie and Mustafa and Terrence Lang, uh, we finally kind of got a veteran core that we can rally young guys around. And um, I think that was what helped keep us together this offseason. And then also one other aspect Coach Durrell brought with him was uh, – a um kind of a leadership program he took us through this offseason um where we broke up into different groups all with one of the coaches leading us through a series of uh different things and we'd have talks as a team and we just got to know each other better which that helped too um in the relationship it's needed definitely yeah so so look
2: and, and that's one thing i want to expand on here uh and and joined here by number 38 for your Colorado Buffaloes, Mr. Brady Russell, uh, joining us on episode 89 of Michezi Unchained. Uh, Carl Durrell, you know, I, I played against Carl back in the day when he, w- when he was at UCLA in 2003 and his team was smash mouth and it reminded me a lot of what I saw the other night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's with, when you guys have Carl Durrell back and he knows UCLA and he's got all that experience, you bring in Coach Wilson, who was my coach for five years when I was there and, is like a second father to me and, and one of my best friends. And you got Coach Shiv and Coach Hagen, And I, I think that the, the coaching staff was upgraded significantly after Mel left. Mm-hmm. So deuces, peace, if you don't want to be with us, you, you're not going to have us when, when you need us. Um, the, the way I'm looking at it, though, I think one of the most underrated things here is the tight end room and the addition of Matt Lynch. How much did that help getting Matt from UCLA for four years Playing for the good guys and then all of a sudden we play UCLA first week.
1: Oh, that helped so much. Uh I wouldn't even say he I mean, it wasn't like he gave us secrets and stuff from UCLA, but it helped a lot having the depth, the added depth. Um, so he could You you guys were freight training people on the goal line the other night, Russell. Oh, it was awesome. I mean,
2: it was awesome.
1: Yeah, he just brings that veteran like he knows what it takes. So he's got that fire in his belly and he wants to be great and uh, it's fine to finally have that compliment with another tight end so we can work with each other and get it done. And Some of those double teams we had were just nasty. Uh, it was, just crushing. It was fun. And Matt's Matt's been like that the, the whole time I've known
2: him since back in the day at high school. And when he called me earlier this year and was like, I want to, you know, I want to grad transfer to see you. And I was like, brother, let's make this happen. So I'm really glad that he's, that he's coming there. And and provided some some vet leadership and you guys are kicking ass at the point of attack uh so yeah talk about ucla a bit okay brassard goes out 187 three touchdowns four turnovers you know at at some point in in the second half it looked like everybody hit the oh my god we're playing a football game wall and conditioning i'm sure was a huge part of this week going into stanford uh but number one how good did it feel to get a w and sing that song and then number two Is UCLA a rival of CU now, in your opinion?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say they're a rival. I just – I mean, I love rivalries. Don't get me wrong. But I think you should prepare the same way you're going to – no matter who you're going to play. It shouldn't matter who it is. You should come out with that fire in your belly. I don't care if I'm playing Nebraska or if I'm playing East Carolina. I want to come out and try and kick the other dude's ass across from me. So, uh, um Hey, I, I kind of forgot the question almost <laughs> now. it's
2: where, where we? okay. A fire in the belly and we're going to go hit somebody. <laughs> so I, what I was saying is just talk about the, the UCLA game and how good it was to get a W after almost a year without pads on. And then you asked the rival question.
1: Oh, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, it felt, it felt really good to get a W. I think the win was good for us because we saw in the first half just how capable we are. If we can run oh anyone out the stadium, when we went up 35 five seven. And then in the second half, obviously, I would have rather not have hit that lull. But I think that was good for us because it showed that we can battle through the adversity and fight as a team. So, I mean, there was – you'd rather not them come back. But I think it was good for our our mentals, if that makes sense.
2: Well, I know that knowing the coaching staff the way I do, especially Wilson and Darrell and Hagen and Shiv, (laughs) I know that they said, look, we're glad we won. But this isn't good enough. This isn't going to be the way we play football here. And we got to clean this stuff up. And we can't play like that going into the farm at Stanford. Now, it takes us to our last question here before we get you out of here. Uh, Brady Russell joins us here on McChesney Unchained, episode 89. The farm is always empty. I went last year to a game where they hosted Stanford on homecoming. And literally 75% of the stadium was bone dry, ass empty. So they're used to never playing in front of anybody. They went and got handled in Eugene by Oregon, who many think are the best team in the Pac-12. How have you guys gotten ready for what David Shaw is going to look at as a make-or-break game for his football team and Stanford Cardinal? Uh, I work. I've worked with a bunch of their guys. Their left starting left guard, Braden Miller is, uh, or Barrett Miller is one of the Dungeon Family guys, and they're pretty motivated. So they're they're amped up to to get you guys in the in the confines of the farm. Uh, what what do you guys uh, don't don't give away any secrets, but how have you been getting ready to go play a very physical Stanford Cardinal team? Uh,
1: we've had a, we've had a lot of focus obviously on physicality because last year's game was, that was one of our most physical games and we pulled out with a win last year. So obviously we're yep. motivated to keep that rolling. Um, but there's just been a big emphasis by coaches and just by leaders of um, just fundamentals and not even just fundamentals, but like clean operation. So, we would, I mean, we had a lot of plays on offense. We could have ran up the score to 70 last, last week. If we had maybe if I blocked this dude outside number instead of inside number, if Sam put the ball on someone's outside shoulder instead of inside shoulder, or if Jared could hit the B gap instead of the A gap. So there's so many little details. So we've just tried to really hone in, um, and focus on every little aspect of our operation. Um, so it's really been a, a big focus week. Obviously, we've been physical, too, but just really locked in, I guess, was the biggest emphasis for this. Physicality and focus sounds good to me. So lastly,
2: last question I got for you here. You've been at CU for now, what, this is your third season, correct? Uh, yes, sir. Er, third season. Fourth well, i redshirted, season. so this is my fourth. Redshirt, so your fourth yeah. year. You've been there with Sam Neuer that whole time. hmm Where the hell has that been the whole time? And do you think moving to safety almost made him more prepared to play quarterback? I played both ways in the NFL for six years, and it's the reason I know what I'm looking at and the way I can break down film and do things a certain way. And when I played offense, I knew exactly what the defense was doing because I played it for so long you think that that helps Sam? Cause he looked like he knew exactly what they were going to do when they were going to do it. And he was just picking them apart and he hasn't played quarterback since high school.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I think it, it had to have helped him. Cause I mean, knowing what the other side of the ball is going to do and recognizing different things that like ways people might disguise coverage is going to help when you've actually played in the system. So I think that had to have helped, but shoot, I mean, Sam's been savvy the whole time I've known him and I've, Love playing with him on the field because, I mean, beginning of my career, I was running with the twos, so I had Sam throwing me the balls. I think that's part of where the chemistry comes from is we've been working together for almost or three years now going on four. So uh, I've always known he was savvy. I've always known Tyler was savvy too. I think he's got a lot of skill. As they said, it was a close competition, and I I trust both of them wholeheartedly to win the game. But uh, I just think that Sam has uh, – He's had it the whole time. He just hasn't had the opportunity to let it out. So. And there, there it is. It's opportunity knocks, and you
2: got to be able to answer oh, that. door. All right, brother, you have a great trip to the Bay Area, and you go kick yourself some Stanford ass this weekend. Go home 2-0 and sing that fight song, When You Land. I know that's always fun. Uh, keep being the leader you are, 3-8. Thank you so much for coming on the show, brother, and uh, uh, have yourself a good weekend. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it. Go bust, bro. Go bus. And episode 89 of McChesney Unchained continues as we roll here from the DNBR bar and studio down here off of Colfax. Get down here and support your local small business. This place kicks ass. Uh, It is my honor and pleasure to bring on not only one of my good friends, but uh, an ex-rival and an ex-teammate. And a guy who who I thought was one of the best competitors I ever got the opportunity to play against and with uh, in the National Football League and in college football. Everybody's All-American from Fort Morgan High School, CSU Rams, the Jets, the Texans, and your Denver Broncos, Mr. Joel Driesen joins us here on episode 89. Joel, what's up, brother? How you living?
0: I'm living great. I, uh, thanks for having me on. I uh, I don't get asked to do this stuff much anymore, and I really, frankly, I don't want to. So that's all good, <laughs> so, um, But
2: That's proud. exactly why I brought you on, because I know your opinion will be real. Um, <laughs> so look, it, we're both Colorado guys we came out in the same recruiting class in the year 2000 you and you ended up going to CSU I ended up going to CU we played each other every year to start the season trust me I'm missing it this year I, I really missed the Rocky Mountain Showdown um that said CSU mops their rival at home to get the boot first time in four years talk about how cool it was to see them overcome that 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 mountain that's been Wyoming for the last four, but then how good do you think the CSU team could be?
0: Man, I, I think that was huge. I mean, we had not had our hands on that boot since President Obama was in office, right? So we spent, they skipped pretty much Trump's entire presidency um, with no boot in their hands. The only reason I think of that is because of the current political climate we're in, but um, <laughs> it, it's huge for them to get over that mental hurdle, right? That they couldn't win rivalry games, that they couldn't win against Wyoming. They had not beat Wyoming since 2015. That's, that's, that's gross, that feels dreadful. So uh, that was one of the things that, you know, was really a huge knock on Bobo, right? He'd lose to CU, he'd lose to Air Force, and he'd lose to Wyoming every single year. And it went on for way too long.
2: Uh, 0 and 11 against the rivals. Uh, so I mean, that's, I know it makes you sick to your stomach
0: that it was just a big moment I was really excited about that and the the way that they did it too because Craig Bull's teams at Wyoming he has those guys playing physical they play a a nasty motivated style of football in Wyoming and to to me I saw CSU out hit them and I saw them be more uh, be more physical and I saw them force turnovers and capitalize on, on turnovers so it uh it, it, it was huge. Made me feel really, really happy to see them hosting that boot. And, and the McBride brothers, right, from Fort Morgan, those guys.
2: And that, that's my next question is talk to me about the McBride brothers and how good not only Trey but Toby. Toby was unblockable, big number zero. That kid was all over the field. And then Trey looks like the most complete tight end in football. And coming from one of the most complete college tight ends I've seen in, in, with the way you played, I think that he's the best guy at that position since you.
0: Yeah. You know, Toby makes me really happy, right, because he's a fifth-year senior. He's a guy who's dealt with a bad back injury. He's always been hurt. And so he didn't know if he even wanted to come back to play football. He was like, all right. They had, you know, the investigation going at CSU and then all of the, the COVID madness. He He didn't know if he wanted to play. But once Trey's mind was made up to come back to CSU instead of transfer – and uh, Toby wanted one more year to go play with his brother. And to me, he looked like the most inspired guy out there.
2: He he, he looked like the best defensive lineman in the Mountain West that night. He looked like
0: a strong, crazy white boy playing defensive yes. line, which is my favorite. So yeah, kind of it reminds me of me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he looked strong. He looked good. He made impactful plays on third down, numerous quarterback hits. I don't know if he was credited with a sack or not, but um, – just the dude played like a fifth-year senior. And, and is this just what
2: Fort Morgan just does? I mean, because I know you guys are blue-collar, just tough-ass country boys, but damn, man. I mean, that those two and you and just knowing what Fort Morgan is, uh, they, Carl Durrell needs to go to Fort Morgan and start recruiting these boys. Let's go.
0: Football is important to us out there. We, you know, we had some good head coaches who did a good job of teaching us technique and teaching us tradition, um, and he made winning football games really important, and I think that's carried on to the next couple of head coaches that are, are there now, also. Um, but Trey, Trey, you're right about Trey Trey McBride is, is special. He is, I, I, he came and stayed at my house right, right before the season started a couple of days in August, and we'd go work out a little bit and have some meals together and, and hang out. And uh, the kid is made of the right stuff, he's so hungry. I, I told my son, Hey, this kid's coming to stay with us, he plays tight end at CSU, he's kind of like a mini Gronk. To me, that, that's what he is. He's got these humongous hands, right? His hands got to be like 12, 13 inches across. With frying uh, pan. He, he, he folds up really well. You know, he gets down in the stance. He's got great mobility, great flexibility, all the measurables you want for a tight end to really put your hand in the dirt. Um, he's got to improve on the line of scrimmage, which I see him doing. Uh, I thought I gave him some good tools in his toolbox to help him with that. And the dude, he catches everything. Everything. Yeah, and I I really like what he's about, his intent, his demeanor. You can tell football is so, so important to him. And uh, just excited to continue watching him develop, really.
2: Man, it was so fun watching those two play, and they really set the tone for the entire team. Uh, Talk about Adazio. Talk about Steve Adazio. I've met with Steve several times. He's on top of the recruiting and he's sending it, – Steve's sending me mail like I'm getting recruited, like, hey, thanks for all you do in Colorado. I'm like, hey, that's awesome, you know. But the rival head coach of where I went to school sending me mail uh, because he knows how hard we're working trying to get kids up to CSU. I think he's been awesome so far, and uh, Louis Adazio's been great. And and I really – it's been a, a breath of fresh air with how they've approached things from a recruiting standpoint. Give me your two cents on the Adazios, and especially Steve taking over up there.
0: Yeah. I mean, that hire, right, was met with a lot of resistance. CSU fans were not excited about it. You know, I think they burnt down Twitter questioning the hire, and I kind of tried my best to pump the brakes and say, hey, this is where we're at with our leadership at CSU. Let's get on board. Let's be excited about it. And to me, he's handled some tough situations uh, pretty well as far as whatever the investigation was for misconduct and then the COVID allegations. And the guy's just been pretty steady as far as, hey, You slap us with these rules. You slap us with these punishments, investigations, whatever. We're just going to stay the course. Um, Have not had the chance to meet him and shake his hand and talk to him yet. But the one thing that I love about him, what I saw, is the MO on CSU used to be get them to the fourth quarter and they'll find a way to mess it up. They will lose the game in the second half. They will will probably quit, right? And – that didn't happen against Wyoming the other night, right? Oh, no, they, they got, got in better. The fourth quarter, and all of a sudden they're putting the foot on the gas. They go up by ten, right? And they're closing games out. So, or at least one game. So, uh, I'm excited about him. You know, obviously, in in the football world, you live week to week, right? We all love him right now. Well, you know, let's see what happens in this next one.
2: So, this next one's a big one. Uh, Boise State on the blue turf. They got absolutely handled by all the Mormons at BYU, fifty-one seventeen the other day. <laughs> Um, and this is a big game for CSU. I know that there's no love loss between Boise and CSU. CSU hasn't been able to get over that hill. I thought they had them beat a couple of years ago, but ended up not closing it out. Like they had that. a
0: 28-point lead in the second that's half. My,
2: like, that's my uh, point. I know you're aggravated about it. So how do they go to, how do they go to Boise and replicate that and finish, finish the job? I mean, I- any CSU fan who thinks they don't have a chance – it's crazy yeah. the way that that team plays. Steve Adazio is always going to give you a chance to win the football
0: game. we I don't think we beat Boise a single time, right? And so, uh, not yet. uh Not a single time. We're due, right? We're, we're due. But you can't. It, it doesn't just happen. You got to go earn it, and they got to go earn it the same way they did against Wyoming by playing balls to the wall, badass physical defense, running the ball. And I thought that o, uh, O'Brien, the quarterback, you know, he took some bad sacks. He's got a realize where the blitz is coming from um, but he made some clutch throws he made some big time throws he uh, felt r- uh, really comfortable with him dropping back and making decisions uh, he looked like a veteran player to me that that is really was playing his first game of the season and that's what he was so uh, run the ball play good defense and have your quarterback Uh, Be smart with the football. That's how you got to go into Boise and win. And by all means, you got to be as physical as you were last week. You know, I I watched that linebacker number five, Dequan Jackson, dude, he was hitting downhill. He was coming. He was hitting people. And then uh, 28 with the big pick six and number 10, I thought, You know, he stood out to me on kickoff coverage, right? You can tell a lot about a man about how he covers kickoffs, right? That's right. He split his ass off full speed and arrived at the football with bad intentions. And I saw number 10 doing that. I can't think of his name right now. See, I got to become a better fan.
2: (laughs) Joel Dresen joins us here on episode 89 of McChesney Unchained. Uh, And just a couple more things here for you, J.D., before we get you out of here. Uh, Number one, I know this is probably a long shot, but how cool would it be if Colorado and Colorado state ended up playing in a bowl game?
0: I would love it. How cool and would that I, be? We
2: got to go. We got to go. Make it work if it hard. happens, we got to go.
0: But Vegas is just a short flight away. H- have those two teams meet up in Vegas in the postseason, And, you know, so I can go to, so I can go to the Bellagio and have some
2: sushi. Hey Amen. I can go to the Bellagio and win some money. Uh, all right. So lastly, the Denver Broncos, uh, both of us ended our careers here in Denver. Um, you know, you're a tight end. You, you obviously are, are involved in the passing game. There's a lot of venom being thrown at Drew Locke and Fant and all the young guys. My, my question is simple. Sutton is young. Hamler's is young. Judy's young. Locke is young. Lindsey's young. Bowles is relatively young. Still first contract. Rookie center. I mean, the team is as young as you want to get offensively. And we have the oldest head coach in the division and the oldest offensive coordinator in the division. And he thinks that Eli Manning is still playing quarterback for him in New York in 2002. <laughs> so
0: um,
2: what the hell is the disconnect and when is Denver going to go young and allow the rules of football offensively to work for them instead of working against them?
0: Man, that's, that's a great question, but I, I hadn't realized that that's what was happening until you mentioned it just now you're right, it seems like it doesn't mesh, right? You got old S. Fangio with his long practices, his long physical practices. And he got a lot of guys injured right now. I'm not saying it's fault by any means, but I've heard that he, he's tough on those guys. He has them out there, you know, Mangini style, which doesn't feel oh, very God. good, I'll tell you that much.
2: Mangini uh, style, that's, uh, that's the way it, to shorten not, your it's career. It's right
0: now. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> In your life, probably. Um, yeah, man, do you remember stand. that
2: training camp? Dude. Do you remember that training camp? That was, we were both in New York together, and man, Genie's training camp was the most ruthless thing I've ever done in my life.
0: <laughs> 2006, right? That, this is a couple CBAs back, right? So you're allowed to have full padded practices. You're allowed to be out there Twice for a four hours a day. And he was. Marsanto
2: tell, Pope, ex Bronco, remember he just quit? Yeah, he's like, we, ah. we were. Yeah, it's like I'm not doing this anymore. I'm out of here.
0: Football's not for me anymore. a couple I'm,
2: guys just, I'm out.
0: Fuck this. Oh man. <laughs> um, anyways, so I don't know why it's not working. I can't stand watching the Broncos on offense though, because Philip Lindsay needs to get into some kind of rhythm. Please, for the love of God, I don't give a shit if the defense knows you're going to run every single time on first down. Every single first down the Broncos have, they should hand it to 30. I don't give a fuck if the defense knows it or not. Just give him a crack at the ball. Just make it second and eight, second and seven, something to give yourself.
2: Other than second and 10.
0: Yes, just give yourself some rhythm. And I want to see him with the ball in his hands. Give him more opportunity. And, you know, I I didn't hate on the Melvin Gordon signing, right? Like, I was okay with that. I understand it takes two running backs to to get it done, Um, but – Philip is explosive with the ball in his hands. He needs more opportunity, he needs a rhythm. He, he, he should play 75% of the offensive snaps. That's, that's
2: how do, I pick. Do you think that they're trying to dice up the football for everybody too much instead of just letting the offense come to them as they call it? I feel like they have certain packages for certain guys, and the defense is keying on it. And it's, it's making it almost impossible to have productive first and second down plays. And then you're asking Drew Locke to do too much on third down when they're either at third and eight plus or behind the sticks. It puts a ton of pressure on that young guy. The protection schemes, when you have a rookie center and a first year quarterback, and then everyone struggles with protection schemes with movement and zone blitzes and squeeze gaps, well... I mean, how much do you want Munchak and Cooper to do exactly? At some point, it's got to be on the player and the quarterback, right? If the quarterback doesn't want to learn protection and he doesn't learn it, isn't that on him if his teeth get knocked out? How do you look at that?
0: Uh they're they're leaky right now they're a leaky offensive line they don't handle you know twists and, and stunt games very well in pass rush scenarios they for whatever reason they have a tough time passing that stuff off and all of a sudden you have a three technique either running scot free or he has a glancing blow and uh, and Drew's having to get rid of that ball early and when he does get rid of it early, he's usually stuck on his first read, throwing it to a covered guy when really he has a check down open for a 5-yard gain or maybe a 5-yard gain a break a tackle first down type stuff. So to me Drew plays really young. He, I mean he's essentially a rookie, right? Nine, ten yep. games whatever it is.
2: I think he's got 11 starts this after this
0: weekend. Okay, so we know the raw talent's there, the desires there. Um, his teammates love him, all that stuff, but he's got to just get better on the field. Take what the defense gives you, not be so greedy. To me, he's like he's always trying to win this thing in the first half, but it really ends up, you know, getting them down by 21 points.
2: So, I mean, you ended your career with Peyton, and Peyton's the best I've ever seen at the line of scrimmage. I never see Drew Lock change anything. I don't see him pointing at any linebackers. I don't hear anybody talking up front. I don't hear squeeze gap calls. I don't hear change of direction on – on. I mean, for God's sakes, the other day – and we did this on the Turning Point on the, the breakdown show, and it's – they go full turn and puts Phil Lindsey on 54. It's over Sam's stack. So Sam's on the line of scrimmage. They put Phil on 54 and full turn, five offensive linemen for four defensive linemen and Dotson's not blocking anybody while you're asking Phil Lindsay to block a 260-pound blitzing Sam linebacker into the, into the face of a right-handed quarterback, and you wonder why he gets ran over and sacked. But that's my point. Is it on Pat or is it on Drew to walk up and go, Mike means most dangerous, 54 is the Mike. Roger! It's, I just don't understand why it's so hard. I'm a dumbass defensive lineman, and I figured it out pretty quick. <laughs>
0: I don't know anything about Pat Shermer. I mean, I know he coached Eli for a long time and they had some success, but, you know, throughout my time since, you, you know, year 2000, right? Like really paying attention to pro football. I don't remember anyone being super excited about a Pat Shermer offense. Nope. Um, I, I think Fangio wanted a an offensive coordinator with some experience. That, that Old. He, Old people. He didn't know what he would do with calling plays. Um, so he wanted to move on to, to Shermer, but uh, it's just not an exciting an offense. There's no rhythm to it. There's no – like you mentioned, how many times have you seen them come to the line of scrimmage? Has Drew even get alert, alert to send the run the other way, away from – Never. D-50? So I don't think they even sent him to the huddle with two plays. Um, I don't know if he's not there yet or the offense isn't there yet or, or what the story is. Only the well,
2: co- isn't, it, isn't it the coach's job to teach them, though? I mean, I didn't understand offensive football when I got moved from defense to offense in the middle of my NFL career, but I had Bill Callahan as my offensive line coach. And you can't, you can't help but learn under that guy. So my, I guess my question is, if we continue to see these things and they're not happening, who is that gonna fall on? Is that gonna fall on everyone? Are we gonna get rid of Locke, Fangio, shoot, Pat? Everyone is just gonna be fresh slate at the end of the year because the schedule I'm looking at, Dreesen, I see maybe two more wins, yeah. maybe. <laughs>
0: He's got to play better. The quarterback's got to play better, and he's got to be taught the game better. I think it's—I I don't know what's going on. See, I, this is why I don't like doing media anymore because you speculate so much what's going on in that. Yeah, that's the only best the part. guys on the team in the meetings know, so <laughs> we can chime in all we want from the peanut gallery. But uh, at the end of the day, he's got to be taught football better, and he's got to play it better. That, and that's it. That's all there so, is. To so,
2: it. let me ask you one more question before we get you out of here. Who does it fall back on? In college, you don't know the difference. You're going to do what your coach asks you to do. Say, yes, sir, be a good soldier. I want him to talk to the NFL nicely when it's my turn. And the NFL, one thing that, that 6-0 allows me is the opportunity to work with guys who are self-motivated. The Connor McGoverns, the Billy Turners, the Ben Garlands, the Sam Jones, the Austin Slotmans, Dalton, all those kind of guys. Dalton Reisners, so on and so forth. So at what point is it on Drew to learn if he's not getting what he needs from Pat? And, and lastly, is there anybody in his corner telling him that he may need to learn more? Or is everybody just, good job, Drew?
0: <laughs> I, I don't think anybody's doing that, right? They can't do that. I mean, that, that comeback against the Chargers, that, that, was, that felt good. That was, it was awesome. That was, that was really cool. But by halftime of that Atlanta game, you forgot all about that. And yep. he's just got to find a way to be more consistent. How did Mangini say it? you got to be the same guy every day. Every day. Right? You gotta, your approach has got to be the same. And ultimately, your performance has got to have some element of consistency to it if you're going to win you know, consecutive ballgames.
2: So you think they have a chance this weekend in uh, Vegas against the Raiders? How do you feel about that? Dude, I like watching the Raiders. Have you watched them? I love watching them, too. They are smash mouth. They're pretty good,
0: man. They yeah, run they're the really ball. good. They're good at running the ball. That little rookie running back they have, he he's good. And then Derek
2: Gruden, – Gruden has really built them back to what they were when he was there. They're just going to get better.
0: Yeah, and there's some holes defensively. but Are the Broncos going to be good enough to take advantage of them? And obviously, the Raiders, they're kind of like – The CSU of years past, right? Get them to the second half, get them to the fourth quarter, and they'll find a way to mess it up. Well, this year they've won a couple of those games. So, uh, man, I I don't think the Broncos win against the Raiders this weekend. Yeah, it's going to be pretty tough.
2: Huge thanks to Joel Dreesen joining us here on episode 89 of McChesney Unchained talking about CSU in Wyoming and the huge win for the CSU Rams and also giving his thoughts on the Denver Broncos and that's where we're going to head now. So thanks to Joel and Brady for uh, coming on the tight end edition episode 89, a couple of tight ends uh, showing their love for the game and, and talking about the, the mile high teams and, and your Denver Broncos. Uh, The Broncos go to Atlanta and play terrible in the first half, and it cost them the football game. Um, Atlanta obviously let them back into the game. That's what Atlanta does. Uh, But at no point did I think they were going to be able to pull out the same magic they had at home against the Chargers last week. And because of the play calling and the lack of communication and the offensive line being confused on who they're protecting and... Drew Locke looking like he doesn't understand the protection. Um, I can only imagine what it, lo- it would have looked like if there were fans there and noise because they were that confused and it was dead silent. So I'm I'm of the mindset that – and I talked about this with Dreesen – when you have a a, a second-year quarterback who's basically a rookie and a left tackle on his first contract and your right guard's a second-year player, your your center's a rookie – your your left guard's a second-year player in Dalton Reisner. Your right tackles Dotson, and then he's hurt, and Rodgers walks in. You've got Fant, who's a, a second-year player. Albert O, who started the game as the number two tight end before tearing his ACL, that sucks, is a rookie. Jerry Judy's a rookie. Uh, Hamler's a rookie. Phil Lindsay's in his third season. Melvin Gordon, essentially, is the old man of the group, and he's in his sixth year. When you're that young offensively, and that's what's on the field, and you've got the oldest head coach in the division and the oldest offensive coordinator in the division, and the play calling reflects that, this is what you get. And this is why I thought the trip to Atlanta, and I called it on episode 88 last week, and everybody told me I was nuts, and they're going to keep rolling, and yadda, yadda, yadda. When you have 10 days off like the Falcons did, they played last Thursday, they beat Carolina, they sat around and watched the Broncos come back against the Chargers— they had 10 games to get ready. And then the Broncos couldn't practice because of COVID. Shelby Harris is out because of COVID. They only have one day of really work. And then you wonder why they're sloppy at the 11 o'clock kickoff on the East Coast? I mean, come on, man. The writing was on the wall. Now, did I think they were going to get their ass kicked like they did in the first half? No. I thought they'd be a little bit more competitive than that. But that shit was ugly. And, and I don't. I'm tired of the blame shit. I'm tired of it. I think that the, the entire. St- state of Colorado and the city of Denver, it's real simple. Your offensive football team is extremely young, okay? The defense is going to get younger next year when they ask Von Miller to take a pay cut and he says no and they cut him. Or, you know, A.J. Bouyer's not here anymore and Jarrell Casey's gone. and All these high-priced defensive guys either restructure or leave. They're going to get younger next year on defense and then hopefully this young offensive team is now a veteran team next year. You've got to go through these bumps and bruises, especially with a young quarterback. He can't protect himself. He can understand the protection scheme better and walk up and dictate protection, but he can't block anybody and deliver the football. If, you're, if you really think that Drew Locke throwing off his back foot, which we talk about in the turning point at length, is his fault, you don't know football. Obviously, you don't know what you're talking about or what you're looking at. I don't see how it's his fault. He can't block Grady Jarrett. He doesn't know. He, he's not the one responsible for a squeeze call. If he is responsible for the protection, it's the first time I've seen it all year. The only guy I've seen change protection in a game is Rippon. So, I'm confused on what they're teaching. I'm confused on how much, you know, how much leash Locke has at the line of scrimmage. Does he have any? Does Pat Schumer just tell him what to do every play? Because the, the, when I see Drew Locke playing at the line of scrimmage and free and, throw, and ripping the ball all over the field, yeah, he, he's better, obviously. But for people to sit back and also say that, well, we should just run hurry up all the time, there's another super naive, idiotic statement. Look, the, the Falcons didn't just sit back and, and, and prevent defense the entire second half. They were in cover one 90% of the time. Denver just got off their ass and started dictating to the defense instead of sitting there trying to run three-by-one archaic-ass you know offensive schemes that, like I said with Joel Dreesen, you might as well have Eli Manning's statuesque ass back there with Pat Schumer in the early 2000s. That's the way Pat Schumer's calling offense. We have an athlete at quarterback, like I said last week. At what point are we going to start using his athleticism? At what point are we going to start dictating to the defense rather than have them dictate to us? The way that you cover up insufficient offensive line play is by up-tempoing the offense and getting the ball out of his hands quickly, not by extending the drop point and asking Jake Rogers to block for five seconds. You think that's going to go well? Here, here's a guess. It didn't go well. And I don't know why it's on Jake Rogers when you have Vic Fangio, who's one of the best defensive minds ever, he's not going to walk up to Pat Schumer and go, look, man, maybe we should try running the ball consistently on first and second down and get to second and, or third and four instead of third and nine, third and 15. The play's over. It's over. Catch a six-yard pass because we throw under the sticks consistently. Tackle the guy and get off the field. Now, Do I think they can improve? Absolutely, I do. Do I think they have an opportunity to go put up some points this weekend? Shit, yeah, I do. The Raiders are terrible on defense. They give up a ton of plays, but they can rush the passer. Crosby's a dude. He's the fifth rounder. Crosby from Eastern Michigan is better than the first rounder, Farrell from Clemson. And it's not even close. So the Raiders have a ton of holes defensively, but I've also seen them go to Cleveland in the rain and hold the Browns to six points. So, yeah, John Gruden has them playing well. And, and that's going to be a tough game for the Broncos going into Vegas. I know there's no fans there, but that doesn't seem to matter. The Broncos are intimidated by an away stadium. So hopefully they can go in and play their ass off. But the Raiders are looking at this as an opportunity to go 6-3 and three and be in contention for the playoffs, which is going to be tough in the AFC. And the Broncos lose this game and the season's over. And you just strictly are talking about the potential of next year. So this is a make-or-break game for the Broncos. And honestly, you'd like to think that Atlanta was the way they should have been thinking about this, but it wasn't. It just wasn't. You could tell that they were feeling themselves after the Charger week last week. And I don't see Drew dancing now. Now, I don't care if he dances when you win, but when you dance and you lose, you look like a dick. And you, you, make, you make that jerk off on Fox Sports. What's his name? God, man, the guy that questioned Drew, that, that idiot announcer? Coward. Coward, that guy. I want to dropkick his ass. He's never played football in his life. How the hell does he know? I mean, and look, bro, the more you sit there and say that he's not cool, the less cool you sound. Cool people don't sit around and talk about how cool they are. They let you do it. How And when did you become the cool judge, by the way? You're a douchebag. How, how do you pick cool people? shit? So, look, man, the Broncos have a ton of potential. I'm hoping that the negativity... And the the uh, this, like, desire just to win every Sunday at all costs doesn't destroy the future of the Denver Broncos offensively. Because with Sutton back next year and Glasgow back at Garden veteran leadership and everybody a year better and re-signing bowls and being healthy moving into next year and a reinvigorated defense and maybe, maybe, just maybe an, a young offensive-minded head coach or – uh maybe keeping pat schumer around for two years if you're gonna roll with this guy keep him here for an off season and maybe drew lock can have some consistency even if it is the wrong system at least you're consistently wrong instead of just throwing shit against the wall every year and being like i hope this offensive coordinator sticks nope next one nope next one it's not working it's not working. Consistency is what's going to get the Broncos where they want to go. Not wishing upon a star and being like, oh, well, I hope they get better this weekend, Billy. I mean, give me a fucking break with this, man. This is not worldwide. You know, this, this isn't the, 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 the ride at, at, at Disney World. We can't just go get on the Star Wars ride with your kids and be like, wow, that was a great 15 minutes. Nah, we're going to have to build The veteran offenses and defensive players that were on this team in 15 when they won the Super Bowl, you don't just replace those guys. You have to build to that level. It's not like the Broncos developed that team. They signed the entire roster. Everybody was a free agent that was worth a shit other than Vaughn. So, I think the Broncos have a ton of potential. If they lose at Vegas, which I think they will, uh, the season's over, but it's only over from a can-we-get-into-the-playoff perspective. They still need to continue to improve every weekend. Or do they tank? That's really the question. One never knows. If you want him to tank, you obviously don't think Drew is the guy. If you want him to keep improving, you obviously think he is. So I guess we'll see. Uh, Look, the untrained rant is pretty simple this weekend and it's going to be a doozy. Okay, Let me just be completely frank. When you are on the 41 fucking yard line. Okay, the 41 yard line going in. And it's like the the beginning of the game and you have a literal nine iron with the right leg of McManus is a nine iron, okay? He could hit it from the 10 on the other side of the field in my opinion. And he consistently is hit from 59 inside. And you take a timeout to discuss kicking a field goal from the 41 just to keep the punter on the field and punt the ball still, that's fireable. That is unbelievable, unbelievable. And then, and then, and then, and then, with four minutes left on the clock and two timeouts, you onside? And I know it worked out and they got the ball back, but that, I mean, come on, man, kick the ball deep. You're supposed to be a defensive coordinator. So. (sighs) <sighs> if you don't want to hear me freak out like this, I can only imagine how the veteran player, oh, wait a second. There aren't any veteran players on the team. Therefore, none of them are going to go in the locker room and question anything that fucking Santa Claus is doing, our 70-year-old head coach, or our, our 60-year-old offensive coordinator. I'm not trying to be an ageist here. I'm just saying, Pat Schumer is never in his life done anything that Andy Reid is doing. Andy Reid adopted all the the college stuff. Pat Schumer could do the same thing. That's all I'm saying. It's okay to change. It's okay to go try and kick a 40 on your, what, a 54-yard field goal with Brandon McManus and you're going to punt? That's what you're telling your football team you deserve to lose. You deserve to lose. So, Hopefully, they don't go to Las Vegas and play Scared this weekend because that's what they did last weekend. And look, I'm sure this is going to piss somebody off and guess what, I could give a shit. If you're one of the players and you're actually listening to the media, you're going to be part of the media pretty quick, so keep that in mind. This is episode 89 of McChesney Unchained coming to you from the DNVR bar and studio down here off Colfax. Get down here and support your local small business. Big thanks to Brady Russell and Joel Dreesen for coming on the show today and talking some shit and uh, getting everybody ready for CSU Boise, CU Stanford, and the Broncos and Raiders this weekend uh, Sunday from the Death Star. Real quick, the Death Star is where the Empire lost, like they died and shit and got blown up. Nice name for your stadium, idiots. Figures the Raiders would do that. This is episode 89, thanks folks.